Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater, with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave! Come on, go all night! There goes the Daverhood. Welcome, everybody, to the 169th episode of Dave's Gone By. Here we are on this 23rd of April, 2006, day after Earth Day. Hope that you had a good one. Hope that you celebrated in the way that most of us do celebrate Earth Day, which is watching TV, reading, going shopping, doing errands, and not really thinking about it. But, uh, no, if you, if you took a few seconds to think about the planet a little, that would have been cool. Anyway, take the next 58 minutes, please, and stay with me on Dave's Gone By, because as we do every week, we have music and talk and comedy, smart talk, silly talk, special talk, and music with me. Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, theater critic, journalist, and humorist. And every show's a little bit different. So last week, what did we do last week? I talked about Earth Day stuff. And I think I did some comedy things. Oh, I sang a song. Going to be different this time. This is going to be a little bit more artsy. Because I'm going to talk about theater. So much is opening now on Broadway, a little bit off Broadway, just because in a couple of weeks, the deadline for the Tony Awards is coming. Tony Awards are going to be the second week in June. And so all these shows have to open before, I think it's May 10th, in order to be there for the cutoff date when the nominators and the voters have to see them and then do their votes for the Tonys. So a bunch of stuff has already been opening, and I'm going to talk about them and review them and argue about them, I guess, with Iris Dorbian, who is the editor of Stage Directions magazine. Iris has been on the show a couple of times, and always good, fun conversation, good sense of humor, and a good sense of what's playing and and what's worth seeing at the theater. So if you like Broadway, definitely stick around for this episode of the show. And then later in the program, I'll be doing my Dave Goes Off segment that I do every once in a while where I go off on a topic or a rant or just whatever's in my head at the moment and going to talk about front pages, something that I've noticed about some of our major dailies that's not really making me mad, but I, I, I don't like it. So, of course, I have the microphone, I have the time, I'm going to tell you why. And if there's time, I'll also sneak in a little bit about the New York Mets, because the season has begun, and for the most part, it's been pretty fun to watch, hasn't it, if you're a Met fan. Anyway, I know a few folks who are fans of this show. I know that because they sponsor the show and give us a nice hand. So, give them a hand. Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Long Island's South Shore, Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, which is, of course, the Broadway Bible, and MortgagesRock.com. This, again, it's not a place where you go just to get a mortgage, although I guess you can. This is the place where you go to learn how to be 
a mortgage broker so you can get mortgages for other people and collect the commission. Mortgagesrock.com. They're licensed in New York State and a bunch of other states. And the, the website is really good because it gives you absolutely all the details, all the information. It's like a glossary and an index and a textbook of what it takes to do mortgages and to do loans for people who want to maybe go back to college or fix up their houses or buy a second house. Mortgagesrock.com. Give them a look because making money never sounded so good. And we will begin the good sounds. Oh, oh before I forget, speaking of good sounds, also want to give a shout-out to a fan of the show, Joyce Keller, the radio psychic. She's on Wednesday nights at 11 on this station, WGBB, AM 1240. She does a fun kind of advice call-in show, lots of laughs, also a little bit of the, that psychic stuff if you're into that. So 11 o'clock Wednesday nights, Joyce Keller. Now I can say that we're going to start the good sounds of Dave's Gone By right after these messages. Hey, Dave's Gone By listeners, if you like hearing me, you love reading me even more. So hurry and get my book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, filled with hilarious plays that were performed in New York, like King Solomon the Wise and Blind Date. 232 pages of Pure Dave, only $20 hardcover, $12 trade paperback. To get your copy, call 516-295-1511 or visit the Dave's Gone By website. So, you don't have satellite radio, you don't have an iPod or a hundred music channels on your cable? Doesn't matter! Live365.com has dozens of radio stations and all sorts of formats absolutely free. And one station, DFSX Radio, plays vintage episodes of Dave's Gone By every Thursday night at 8 and 11 Eastern. I've even put their link on davesgoneby.org, so just click to hear music and talk and me free on DFSX. Hi, this is Iris Sorbian, Editor-in-Chief of Stage Directions Magazine, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By on WGBB. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this Sunday, April 23rd, going right into the meat, the heart, the pulp, as it were, of the spring theater season. Um, you know, they're crowding in already with nominations for some of the big awards, and so now all the Broadway shows are opening. They're trying to get you know, up there and in front of all the critics before the deadlines to be voting, especially for the Tonys. And already a few Broadway shows have opened there are a few more coming all the way up until the second week in May. Everything is a little bit uh, like a week late this year because I think they're holding the curtain for Tarzan in an extra few days. But um, we are holding our curtain open here in the neighborhood for a guest who's been with us a few times, and we're very, very happy to have her back. She is the editor-in-chief of Stage Directions Magazine. Her name is Iris Dorbian, and she, as always, is going to talk theater with us, talk about some of the shows that have come quite recently to our stages. Hi, Iris. Thanks for coming to the stage of the neighborhood. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Okay. How was your Pesach? Um. <laughs> Didn't think I would ask that one, did you? Well, it's over. 
Oh, that, you, did you even you, did you eat matzah the whole time? Um, well, I did, I did when I was at my parents' house for, for a day in, in Jersey. But when I crossed the bridge, go back to New York, um, uh, I, I, th- there goes my observance. So okay, so you, you had a pastrami on um, on club, but you but you took like the breading out of the club, so at least it was thin <laughs> and flat. I get you. Right, it's cool. It's, it's New York Jewish. Mm-hmm. You'll pass. It's mm-hmm. cultural. Anyway, let's get from cultural to culture right. and talk about some of the Broadway shows that uh, you've seen, that I've seen, and argue about them maybe a little bit or, or agree on them perhaps. Right. So some of the recent things, first of all, can you think of a favorite? I, I know what I've liked um, from the season. I mean, actually, I liked Grey Gardens. Okay. That's off-Broadway. Yeah, so off-Broadway. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about Grey Gardens. Yeah. Why, don't you, why don't you tell the people what it is? It's a... Um, it's a musical adaptation of the cult 1975 documentary about the um, the aunt and the cousin of Jackie Kennedy, Onassis, both of whom lived in a, they lived as recluses in a dilapidated mansion in East Hampton. That, the, the mansion was called Grey Garden. Right. And this is just, this is an adaptation of that documentary. The first act focuses on um, what life was like before their uh, descent into filth and seclusion and the second act is really from what i understand um taken from the documentary where you see them as recluses just living in squalor with millions of cats in this um well i wouldn't mind living in a dilapidated mansion mansion you know, but, but the mansion has gone to see yeah. you know it's, it's really quite filthy and they do depict it in the um the musical. I don't care. I would still love to have a 26-room mansion. I would have one room that's really nice and have the kitchen all cleaned up. The other rooms can go to hell. Well, that's going to be your showroom then. Yeah. Although, if it's on Long Island, the taxes must... Well, no, I couldn't, I couldn't even swing that. But what I liked about this, first off, um, with the unending influxes of jukebox musicals and these revivals that just go on and on forever, it was really nice to... Um, Here's some very lovely music. Agreed. And, and it's original as well. Um, I mean, there's some beautiful songs in that first act. And they're, they're theater-type songs. That's it isn't like, you know, some songwriter decided to plug in some pretty tunes and... and yeah, uh, it, it's not generic. Yeah. And a lot of what... Um, a lot of the original musicals, you know, other than jukebox and revivals, and I wouldn't call them original, <laughs> tend to be generic and homogenized. You just close your eyes and you could you could have sworn you heard this last week somewhere else. Did, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this was just lovely, lilting music, just beautiful and there was a wonderful performance there by uh Christine Eversall who plays both the um the daughter in the no, first who act. plays the mother in the first right. act and the daughter in the second act. It's, it's it's quite wonderful. I think so far that is one of my favorite um female musical performances this season. The other one would be uh, Judy Kay and Souvenir. Well, the show was extended a bit and, and scheduled to end April 30th. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, there's kind of some talk about bringing it to yeah. Broadway, I yeah. guess, in the fall. You, oh, in the fall? Oh, not or, or I don't know if they could move it immediately. Yeah. Where, would, where would they put it? Yeah, that's... Oh God. Well, there's some shows that... You know. <laughs> well, Festing closes. The brain, <laughs> that, that, that should <laughs> close and make, make, you know, make way for the show. But um, do you think it could it would work on Broadway? Do you think it could go there? I've seen so many bad and forgettable shows the last few weeks, last few months that I can't see why it wouldn't work. Mm. 
Well, certainly, you know, there's yeah. well that's running. You know, and I think well is really belongs in a very in a small down. Yeah, it's you know. going to be gone in two weeks. Yeah, uh, deservedly so. Yeah, uh, well, all right, we'll, we'll get to that one in a second. Um, but uh, just to finish up on uh, Grey Gardens, though, um, I I had some trouble with it, and that's the reason I would not necessarily, if I were a producer type, say, oh yes, let's move it, and it will do okay. I mean, I think it needs some work. I mean, there's there's about twenty minutes in the second act that could be cut. Totally. Yeah. Okay. We're we're in complete agreement on that. Mm-hmm. I think the first act it's somewhat small in scope because it's basically in real time I, I, unless I'm mistaken it all seems or maybe not it kind of seems to happen mm-hmm. on the same day mm-hmm. of this woman who is terrified that her mother is going to ruin this very important dinner she's having with young Joe Kennedy mm-hmm. Kennedy who has these career aspirations that lead all the way up to the White House and mm-hmm. Kennedy cannot mm-hmm. be seen with any girl who has even the hint or whiff of scandal and so the mother has kind of a big mouth and is also a bit out there and repressed in a lot of ways. So she holds these concerts and sings in the house. She had been a, a recorded singer before, and that embarrasses the family and embarrasses the kids. So they have that conflict, and it all sort of leads up to will Joe Kennedy arrive? Will he accept her? Will the mother spoil things? I think it's kind of smallish yeah. for an hour and a half first you know, and, and the other thing um, I don't know if I talked talk about this with you I've talked about this with other people who've seen the show there's um, between the first act and the second act I think that's about 30 years to 30 years I won't be surprised if it's not 30 it's 20 yeah and the characters the mother and the daughter they undergo a tremendous transformation and you want to know in the second act how did they end up like this? Oh, I think that, that I think, is there. I think the I clues mean, I mean, are there. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, how does the daughter end up just so delusional and, mm. like, all, like, in this state of dementia, you know, and you just, like, why is the mother, like, eating cat food out of a can? I mean, you want you want to know how Oh, I, they... I tried eating cat food out of a bowl, yeah. and <laughs> the can is much more economical. <laughs> no, you want to know how they ended up in such a dire state, dire, dire mental state. I, I, and they don't really... They, yeah, you're right. On some level, they don't quite explain that. They don't explain that. And then the second act is really very static, actually. And kind of and over the top a little bit. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, because because they're so outrageous. Right. And then there, there's that, that sort of thing where they bring the kid in who's the friend of the, the old lady. And that's... I don't know. It, it just wasn't quite... Even though the whole show... Was so professionally done, oh, it, and, and done with such craft that you went with all of it, even when you knew something wasn't quite working anymore. At, at but at least thought. it was a pleasure to see something unique and original that had some really good acting and some some very very good songs. Yeah, absolutely, and to see it physically oh. too, it was a beautiful set. Oh, even the ugly part of the set was beautiful <laughs> in its way. The house, even the house when it's decayed, it's just so evocative. Speaking of a set that has gotten almost as much commentary as the piece itself. A revival of Awake and Sing mm-hmm. being done by Lincoln Center Theater. Mm-hmm. It's the Clifford Odette's play, one of his most famous, or, or the most famous after Waiting for Lefty, which sprang him onto the scene as a leftist, populist playwright with fire in his belly, but still with a, a big, gaping, bleeding heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, Awake and Sing is a family drama, but also a socialist Marxist drama, very openly so, revived here, and, and isn't revived 
all that. I mean, I haven't seen it done in New York, yeah. and I was very happy to. Um, what, what, first of all, what did you think of it? Um, well, uh, I know we were there the same night, and we were dealing with a kind of a noisy <laughs> geriatric <laughs> audience. Oh, my God, tell, tell, tell. For the full first act? Oh, there was someone who was sort of loudly heckling what was going on, and I, I really thought Ben Gazzara was going to stop um, and just tell her to shut up. Or, or the way Ben Gazzara at this point would say, him. <laughs> Did he have a stroke? Because he talks in a very, I think he had a stroke. I, I, I wasn't or throat sure. Cancer. Or I think, or maybe he was just trying to affect some sort of Yiddish accent and it wasn't quite working. No, it was no, liking. no. I, I wasn't crazy about that accent. It's just, you know, growing up and hearing that accent spoken so frequently in my house, I just, I, I, I can tell when, you know, it's not, it's working well, or it's not. It just it. wasn't really working. Um, but, but I do want to say that I think I felt a little bad for him reading some of the reviews of it, which were mostly good reviews yeah. of the piece as a whole, and saying that he was mushy mouthed a bit and an addiction, and, and he sort of was, unfortunately. But yeah. I remember seeing documentaries or, or interviews with him about three years ago. He had, like, his larynx removed or something. Some he stuff did? like that. Yeah, or a stroke. You've got to be kidding me. Because if he had his larynx removed, we wouldn't have heard, like, he, he would be sounding like, you know, no, Jack Klugman. No, all right. <laughs> he was like this. Exactly. He was more like this. We could hear him. Um, or it wasn't that, but well, it was a throat I, cancer thingy type stuff. Yeah. Well, well the production, um, I liked the acting more, more or less, very much. Um, um, did you think the styles of the acting, I thought they did. I thought they all worked They all worked. Well I mean, the one thing... I have to I have to give them props for as opposed to another show that that's running as a star studded cast fest well sort of star studded cast Festin. Um is that I mean I you know, I with Festin I didn't get the sense that they were a family or that they even really knew each other. Mm. And here I still didn't quite get that sense, but they seem to work with each other better. Totally agreed. I mean they certainly don't necessarily look like a family unit physically, and then the voices are all different. Yeah, like Pablo Schreiber and Lauren Ambrose, I, I, I don't know if I buy them as a brother and sister. Yeah, right. <laughs> even even in the same state, comes to think of it. <laughs> you know, she's, she's coming somewhere from the Midwest where they make redheads, and, and he's where, somewhere in the universe where they make really tall Jews. I don't know where the hell that is. I wish I were born there. I mean, she also seemed more Bronx-Irish than... Um, Bronx Jewish, but okay. Yeah, I thought she pulled it. I mean, I, I she was actressy, yeah. But I thought she pulled it off as the daughter who ends up, well, having to marry someone, and she ends up marrying like for not for convenience really, but but for economics and for the family's sake. Yeah, I did think that the guy who played her husband, he acted like he wandered in from last year's production. on the roof. <laughs> Well, he, you know what he was? He was a, I, I kind of liked him, actually. He looked, first of all, he looked like Sam Waterstone, but he um, reminded me as a much lower-key version of John Cariani. You know, he Fiddler. reminded me of that. T- that's why I, I kept thinking that he reminded me of Motel. Motel right, Muggle of the Taylor, yeah. yeah. And remember, the, the last Fiddler had this John Cariani playing Muggle running around like a, a marionette flopping about, oh, oh my God, oh, you know, it was this really jarring note. He was also very hammy. Yeah. But he got a Tony nomination. I, please, please, I was screaming over that. I was screaming until my voice sounded like Ben Gazzara's, but you know. Um, but I, the know, place, I also yeah. liked, I liked Mark Ruffalo uh, very much. Um, yeah, he grew on me. Yeah. He and, plays a gangstery kind of. And it's know. interesting because I was wondering whether he would be good because you see, you know, we, Broadway has, is being invaded by these film stars who um, are met very often because they don't have a lot of stage work. They're not able to transfer their skills onto the stage, you know, and project and you know, and act 
two. You mean like Ali McGraw? <laughs> okay, let's get to Feston. Let, let, not, not, not just her. But, you know, so <laughs> I, I was really quite impressed by his performance. I thought it was a really wonderful performance. And I looked at his playbill, and he, he did a lot of theater in L.A. So I think that movie, he has his own theater company. I think that probably oh, yeah. explains he's why not, he's so skilled. He's not a newbie. I mean, no. I mean, you could tell this guy knows how to work his body, his voice. He, he was just really wonderful. And um, I also I like Ned Eisenberg as the uncle. He's, he's not getting terrific. a lot of notice, but he's just right. You he's know? terrific. And I liked the play. Instead, the audience had been quieter. Yeah. You know, not the cell phone. <laughs> not the old woman yakking. Not. I, I, I mean, it, there's yeah. nothing that really goes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, I, I, even even at the very very end, okay, mm-hmm. like he's standing. It's a beautiful image. I, I'm I like a lot of the critics. I was a little unsure about the design thing of where they start taking away the walls, and ultimately the doors of the house. I thought that was a little bizarre. It's a little, it, it kind of, how do they go from so total realism yeah. into sort of a supernaturalism? It didn't work for me until that last moment, which is, I thought, very beautiful. When he's standing there, he's, he's got this, this momentous decision that he's come to with his life. He's made the, the speech. It starts snowing behind him against the brick. It was, I thought it, it got to me, except mm-hmm. for literally... As he's standing there, you know, the lights are still there. Behind me, I hear some alta caca, a crack, and a woman, she's like, that's it. And her <laughs> friend turns to her and says, no, I think there's another speech. And no, then the lights you know, I was right, I was sitting right behind her. Oh, did you hear her? Yes, I did. I was uh, sitting right behind her with, with a friend of mine, and, and we just, like, looked at each other in shock. Why didn't you just hit her? Why don't you take your playbill and not not just smack her on top of the head, but take the because edge. she was about 170 years old, and my parents taught me to that I should respect my elders. Yeah, even though she's not really respecting people who were around her of or on stage. Of course, I mean, give her little paper cuts so that she won't even know. But when she gets home, by the time she walks in her door, she'll have bled to death. This is how you really take it out on audiences. Yeah, I, I just I felt very sorry for the actors dealing with such an obnoxious audience. Well, speaking of obnoxious, we're going to get to Festin in just a minute, but but got to do some commercials first. We'll be right back with theater critic and editor-in-chief of Stage Directions magazine, Iris Dorbian, after this. Performing Arts Insider. Three words that represent the whole world of entertainment found on Broadway, Off-Broadway, and in Cabaret. Hundreds of productions to see and enjoy, but how can you keep them all straight? Performing Arts Insider, the guide to everything that's happening on the stages of New York. For six decades, Performing Arts Insider has been a bible of the industry. Each issue lists hundreds of shows. Who wrote them? What are they about? Who's in the cast? The designers, producers, box office info, parental guides, reviews of what's good, what's bad, and why. Plus, opera and dance, too. As the chief editor of Backstage put it, Performing Arts Insider puts all the facts at your fingertips. To subscribe or get a sample issue, call 516-295-1511, 516-295-1511, or go to performingartsinsider.com. Hi, this is Iris Dorbian, Editor-in-Chief of Stage Directions Magazine, and you're listening to Dave's Gone By on WGBB. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By, our Inside Broadway segment, and we are going Inside Broadway with Iris Dorbian, the Editor-in-Chief of Stage Directions Magazine. By the way, Iris, tell us just very quickly a little bit about the magazine and how people can get it. Okay, um, it's 
17, it's going to be 17 years old this summer, and it focuses on the um, the backstage aspects of theater, which include um, design, uh, technical theater, um, running a theater. Uh, it's really geared for professionals who work in theater, um, as well as educators and students. One way you can get the magazine is to go on our website, which is www.stage-directions.com. And that's stage with the little dash, not like the forward slash. Or little, back, dash, little, little dash, little dash. Okay, mm-hmm. stage-directions.com. Okay, we were talking before about Awake and Sing, and also the off-Broadway musical Grey Gardens. And I mentioned now we're going to move to something really kind of wild and, and, for me, did not really quite work, a Broadway play, a new play, not by an American, but at least it's a new play, called Festin, which sort of festers a little, somewhat intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think, Iris? Oh, it didn't work for me. Um, it's an interesting uh, play, you know, and it's and it's a fascinating adaptation of this movie. I believe it was a, a Swedish film? Yeah, Danish film called Danish Celebration. Film. Yeah. Right. And the staging is, is fascinating as well uh, because there are simultaneous actions that are going on at the same time. The only thing is that... Um, it's not cast very well, or maybe it's miscast with uh, a lot of actors who have their own different styles, and they all seem to be in a their own little play. Um, Did it bother you that uh, one, one critic has said that it would have worked better? So it's all about this um, Danish family where the father, the patriarch, this rich guy, calls his the brothers and the ch- very estranged children mm-hmm. and very strange children mm-hmm. into you know his big birthday celebration mm-hmm. except one brother has a secret that he's finally going to divulge mm-hmm. and then you know the sister's gotten away but she's come back and then the other brother you know is damn near psychotic oh, except he's the normal one well, he's re- well, well at the end he be- he becomes sort of normal even though it's sort of odd because you think that he's completely off his rocker in right. the beginning and he's played by the, the actor who plays the lunatic brother in Six Feet Under. Right, so right. He's basically so he's doing that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, what bothered some of the critics was in the film, which I did not see, and assumedly in a production in Denmark, all this family is going to look really, you know, they're, they're going to look like a family. They're going to have the white hair, yeah, they're going to have those features. Absolutely. You didn't get any sense that these people knew each other or that they were related or... Uh, you didn't. You didn't and, get the sense that they were a family. And it's especially important because when the sister brings her boyfriend in, and he is a large black man, mm-hmm. here it's like, okay, all right, so they're a little, they're, maybe they're a little racist, but it doesn't seem to mean anything because the, one of the other brothers has, like, curly hair and could pass for Semitic. <laughs> uh, but I guess on a Danish stage, untranslated, you would see all these really seriously ghostly white people and she's bringing this, you know, other thing, this other in. Mm-hmm. And I think that would mean a lot more. I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. But also, in the sense of the play, even if you took... Do you think the play would work with a totally different cast? Um, possibly, yeah. I think it could. I think it could. It's, it's a fascinating play. Um, I mean, of course, it's very dark. But it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, it might be heavy for a lot of people to take because you're dealing with, um, you know... In, you're dealing with incest, and right. basically incestuous rape. That's what you're dealing with. Um, Which I have dealt with for years. <laughs> Dad, shame on... No, I kid. I kid. I kid. Um, but I think maybe it could have worked with a different cast. Um, for example, I don't quite understand the idea of casting Ellie McGraw as the matriarch. I don't 
think she worked at all. Because of her, or, or even if she had been... Well, A, um, her limited acting ability. Uh, right. Her, which has not improved. Um, but she's not called upon to do that much. She has one fairly big scene. Yeah, but, you know, something... I, I don't... It's not the size of the role. It's the size of the actor. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Like, um, you remember Dina Merrill? Sure. She, like, when, of course, she's a little old now, but maybe like 20 years ago, she could have played that part pitch perfect because she had this sort of glacial beauty to her and and she could convey some inner turmoil to her. And Ally McGraw didn't convey any conflict that she had, which was just, yeah. which was happily, you know, perpetuating her husband's secret. What do you think of Larry Brigman, who plays her husband? Oh, God, I've seen him do better. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him in a, a lot of stuff. He's usually quite good. I just, it's, the problem is that he is different. He's a different style from, like... Juliana Margulies, who thinks she's on ER, you know, I mean, just... just and he's not menacing here. No, he's not. I, I think not. he should he's, be a little bit. He's kind of ineffectual and innocuous, and uh, there's a... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I should give away a spoiler. Well, you already sort of mentioned the I word, so what, what, what's beyond that? Well, okay, uh... <laughs> All right, spoiler coming. Let, let's sing the spoiler song. Spoiler, okay. spoiler, okay, turn well, the radio okay, okay. down. Okay. okay. Well, there's a part where he says to Michael Hayden, who was the, the son that had been um, abused along with his twin sister you know, when they were children by Larry Brickman's character, and he confronts him and he asks him, why did you do this? And then Larry Brickman says to him, because you were only good for that. Well, and, yeah, that's a, oof, yeah. I mean, that's an awful, awful line. It's, it's incredibly dramatic. I just think, I think it felt flat, something out of Larry Brigman's mouth. It did. You're right. It absolutely, yeah. and a lot of things, and, and you also mentioned it's a dark play, and yet I had problems with the direction in the sense that half of it was directed really as farce. It, well, I, like, yes, with the, Absurdist. Yeah. yeah, it's. People running along the stage, there's these funny, literally funny fights. Especially with the, um, the party that, that seems to be like this interminable, oh, um, conga line type of dance. Yeah. I mean, at first it's I mean, this is what you're dealing with a very serious topic here. Yeah. I mean, again, I can understand maybe some of the dog may, like, I love Lars von Trier's work, usually, and I could sort of see him blending, as he has done, things that are are borderline really goofy, funny, Mm -hmm. and then go right into something that's right on the edge of horror. Mm -hmm. But here, it was just like, Whoa! What is this? Is this is just jarring all over the place? Oh, it, it's a satire. It's a funny. Sa- no, it's not a funny satire. What is it? Mm-hmm. And and by the end of it, also, I was disappointed in the fact that it seemed, for the first half of it, to be a political metaphor. To me, it seemed underlying all this about the way that the truth is. You know, there, there is a certain truth that people know and are about to say, mm-hmm. and then they finally, finally get the courage to come out and, and say the truth to power. Mm-hmm. Power is able to not just shout them down, but to distract and divert. Mm-hmm. So all these songs they sing at the party. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he literally says the most awful things about his father, mm-hmm. and within a couple of minutes, it's all been turned around, and it's sort of like, oh, so what? But, you know, I also think, what, yeah, but I think you're talking, but that like, seems to be indigenous to European Europeans. And yes. European families, you know, about how appearances are, are, are uppermost, how they count. Oh, okay. See, I'm not that familiar. Yeah. On yeah, because I, yeah, as a daughter of Europeans, as somebody who had a European upbringing, I mean, my parents always tell me. Um, my father, not as much. My mother, 
all the time about how important appearances were. Yeah. Well, in our family, it's just like never tell anybody how much money you make. <laughs> that was the only appearance we, we at all cared about. It's like they ask, you know, no, it's nobody's business. See that I see that I agree with. Oh, okay, <laughs> but I, I never I sign anything. But I don't agree with the appearances. Okay, speaking. Let's see. We, we have one more show to cover in this Inside Broadway segment with Iris Dorbian of Stage Directions Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's a, a thing where all the appearances are kind of stripped away, literally, metaphorically, metaphysically, in a play called Well by Lisa Cron, mm-hmm. and she is one of the five lesbian brothers, so of course I like her already. <laughs> no, but they are a wonderful troupe. Um, they, they, not all their plays are perfect, but they're so, they reach, and they really do mix comedy and horror sometimes in a terrific way that I, I was talking about. And they've done some great stuff. And Cron is a smart and good and intelligent and funny writer to an extent. So she decided to concoct this play sort of based on her, well, yeah, based on her life, but kind of not, and her relationship with her mother, who spent, apparently, a good chunk of her life in various states of illness. And this is a way to construct and deconstruct that relationship and to try, try and question what it's like to be not well for years and years on end, never to really get any better, and yet hang on. I just don't think the piece work certainly not on Broadway yeah I, I agree I, I think it really needs to be in a small downtown venue where where did it originate in a small downtown venue well they did it I'm sure at the public I think yeah, that was where yeah they... but this is something like um, I don't know if it still exists Dixon Place Dixon well ooh you know I think I haven't heard about them in a while maybe yeah. they don't um, I mean that type of off, off Broadway downtown performance art venue um that's really where it belongs, not on Broadway. I, I think it's it's too small for Broadway. And um, honestly, my problem is I just didn't care. Uh-huh. And I thought she was very condescending. Well, yeah, I think if you had cared, you would feel it would belong on Broadway. Yeah. I mean, you can take a, an A.R. Gurney play from downtown, and if it works, certainly move it uptown. Yeah, but you need to care about... You need to care, and I did not. I liked um, her her mother very much. And who did she, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think Jane Hudichel. Something like Hudichel. Hudichel. She's probably going to get nominated. For this probably, and she's good. She's very Although good. Kind of like Mary Louise Wilson in Grey Gardens. Well, that's off Broadway again. Yeah, that's, yeah, but that's off Broadway. Um, she was good. I liked her, and I I I liked every time she talked. But when Lisa took over, I just I, you know, I would just cringe. She just had this this. She overexplains. She, she overexplains. She has a, a condescending attitude, and um, I didn't care about her stories. I didn't find them remarkable, especially when she was going on about you know how she was raised in a racially integrated neighborhood in Michigan. You know, big boohoo. You know, I was born in Patterson. You know, I mean, oh, I, I, I was the only Patterson, white, no. <laughs> you know, Patterson, Patterson, New Jersey, and I was the only white girl in my my first grade class. I mean, so what? You know, I mean. Wow. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not impressed. I don't care, and I didn't understand the um, the allergy subplot that was going on there. I, I didn't care. A lot of the acting, except for the mother, it's very presentational, um, which can work if it's something like Avenue Q. You know, well, yeah. Where, you know where you're dealing with with you know, what they're sort of sending up a particular genre, and that's like you know the Muppet Sesame Street with puppets. But I. I didn't, I didn't think it worked here. Yeah, coincidentally, 
within a day or two of seeing, um, well, no, a week or two of seeing Well, I also saw a title of show, uh-huh. a little okay. off-Broadway musical, where they also break the fourth walls, where the actors I saw that, are I saw that too. Yeah, right, exactly. And you know, that there worked, it worked. That, that worked. That, that worked better because they weren't patron. They didn't, they didn't have a condescending attitude. Mm. And I was also very charmed by their, um, by their obvious love of musical theater and also the musical theater gossip, and it was full of insider references. Oh, totally. But it, it, they weren't so insider that no one could get them. I mean, it, it was an enjoyable musical, Absolutely. even if you didn't know that one song was completely made up of show titles, of flop musicals <laughs> on Broadway. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was very charming. But Will is... You know, not only are they breaking through the fourth wall, but she's telling you over and over again, well, I'm doing this construct to break through the fourth yeah, wall. Yeah, in case I, in case like, I didn't okay. understand it, like the, the first three times that you were doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame. We need new in, and interesting experimental plays on Broadway. I mean, it would be nice. Yeah. You know, but they got to be a little bit more, better edited and, and more interesting than well. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's really a shame that there's been a dearth of good plays this season. It was, you know, it was, sort of evidenced by um, the fact that the Pulitzer Committee didn't hand out an award for Best New Drama. Well, which would you, if you were on the Pulitzer Committee, what would you have voted for? God, I can't even think. You saw uh, the John Patrick Shanley play, the new one called Defiance. Oh, please. Not, okay. You're, you're <laughs> defiant about it, huh? Forgettable. Uh, very, well, okay. you know, it, it was worth seeing John Patrick Shanley, even when he's not at his most stellar, because he's certainly superior to most of the playwrights out there. Because the man has a very, he's the consummate master of his craft, and he can write dialogue. But the big problem with this is that it's not constructed well, and um, the action, the conflict doesn't really happen until the last half hour of the play. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's one or maybe two rewrites away from being. Yeah. Real, and we know he can be good because his last of play was out. You know. Of course. Um, and John Robbie Bates had a bad play earlier this season. It's Paris just, Letter. Yeah, Paris oh, Letter was God, bad. That was, last, that was in the summer. Oh, my God. And Terrence McNally had us. Oh, oh my God. Oh, 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 oh that's that well. So, yeah, I can't even think of either. Although they're saying that History Boys and Inishmore, but there won't be American plays, are going to be worth seeing towards the end of the Broadway season. Mm-hmm. Qu- uh, very, very quickly, we're going to get through a couple of other quick things. Mm-hmm. Did you like Ring of Fire? Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I appreciated the fact that they it was constructed as a review, um, as opposed to uh, creating a phony narrative and you know using it as an excuse to insert... Johnny Cash songs. You know, I appreciated that um, that they that they were pretty honest about that because because before the um, the advent of the jukebox musicals, they used to always do that. Um, I think I think they could have cut some. I think they could have cut forty five minutes. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was overly long. I mean, I certainly liked it better than you know some of the other than Lennon and some of the other jukebox. Oh, I musicals. like Lennon. Okay. <laughs> What did you think of Bridge and Tunnel, which is playing until July, I think? Very talented performer. Sarah Jones, yeah. yeah. A wonderful chameleon. Um, just, she could, I, mean, I, just, I thought she was just really talented. I wasn't crazy about her material. I think for me the funniest is, is, right, before she, is right before the show starts when she comes out. Yeah, that's cute. And uh, she comes out as a bag lady, and she's, um, and she's just telling the audience, you know, you know, turn off the cell phone. She's just giving the audience a pre-show announcement. To me, that was the funniest. And it was in a funny way. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the show also about 
two years ago now when it was downtown. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a show that worked better downtown. Yeah, I, I had my like reservations to, then. Yeah, but, I would like to yeah. see her in something else. I mean, she certainly oh, sure. has a lot of talent. I, I um, but I wasn't crazy about it. I thought it was. I certainly liked it better than Well. No question about it. Yeah. But um, I still was a, largely underwhelmed. So, so it wasn't worth taking the bridge and tunnel to <laughs> crowd to see. No, Bridget. no, 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 no. Oh, that was bad. Anyway, mm-hmm. but it has been good. Oh, and your favorite show so far of the season, which would, I guess, go back to last May. Oh, God. Um, so if you were voting... You mean like a revival, original, what? Because there were two revivals I liked. Go for and it. there was one original. Okay, what are Well, they? it's not really an original. It's another... Well, okay. The three shows I've... Linked, okay, I mean, other than Grey Gardens, which I liked, um, the revivals that I, I think are very good are Sweeney Todd ah, yes. and Pajama Game. Yes. Both, both done very well. Excellent staging, um, really very, very fine production elements, um, really worth seeing, both of them. And uh, Jersey Boys, which oh, is yeah. a jukebox musical. I know. I mean, it but was the it best worked. done. I, I still find it kind of, as soon as they sing the songs, I'm like, it wasn't my era. I mean, it was my era, but it wasn't my era. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking well, that's my to mother's the... era. That's yeah. Not, that's not my era either, but I, I think it works, you know, because uh, because... Because it makes those mu- those the songs make sense because they're talking about um, it's it's a it's a biographical musical about four seasons Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. So when you hear these songs, it's not like it comes out of nowhere. It makes sense and it's it's directed beautifully and yes, the performers sure are terrific and the choreography is wonderful. Right. Although they say that one of the performers, the lead singer, is having a little help. I just heard that recently. I don't know if that really matters, actually. I heard that recently, yeah. Yeah, the other someone backstage. Well, there's a couple of people sort of helping him out on those high notes. All right, so, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not quite lip syncing. It it, it might make Michael Cerveris's, you know. (laughs) No no kidding. Run to the podium. Yeah, it it may cost John Lloyd, I think it's John Lloyd Young or John Lindsay Young. John Lloyd Young. The, the Tony there. Um, um, the only reason I'm happy that kind of came out was I think he got so much attention. He's very good. But I thought the other guys were terrific. I, I like the guy who's the narrator for the whole first oh, act. Oh, he's terrific. The and one he who gets no... The one who's, like, who's the gangster who ends yes. up in Vegas. He's wonderful. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Nobody said it. This man should be nominated for something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Ah, uh, well, I, here's something I do know. Mm-hmm. How's this? Yeah, you'll, you'll like this segue. I do know that it is always a joy to have Iris Dorbian oh, in the neighborhood. Remember, please, to go check out Stage Directions magazine. You can find out about it at stage-directions.com. It's for people who work in the theater industry or are just interested in, in the tech and the lighting and the costumes and, and the, not so much the business side, but still the creative but physical aspects. The nuts of, and you know, bolts. The here. nuts and bolts, and, and, and mainly the nuts, because mm-hmm. the air is filled with them. And we are nuts about Iris Corbin. Uh-huh. See, I'm, I'm doing these segues left and right here. Uh-huh. And, and thanks, as always, so much, Iris, for being it's, in the game. It is a pleasure. We've just been inside Broadway, thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider. Minuteman, the superheroes of photocopying. Minuteman, no job too big or small. 
Minuteman, family run printing since 1975. Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Unit, Long Island, next to the new Loman Shoe Store. Tell them Dave sent you for 10% off. Minuteman, hero of our copying dreams. Okay, listen to me. No, I mean, listen to me on Compact Disc, where bunches of past episodes of Dave's Gone By are yours to hear over and over again. Comedy sketches like the Bad Dad Elections and Handyman Yoni, visits with guests like Reckless Eric and Julie Haggerty, punchlines and politics in the news gone by, all at just $12 a disc, shipping included. Visit davesgoneby.org or call 516-295-1511 for me on CD. Dave goes off, Dave goes off, Dave goes off, Dave goes off. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this April 23rd, Sunday night. Thanks for being with us. Time for a segment called Dave Goes Off. And I call it that because it's my place to go off on a tangent, off on a rant or a rampage, or just clear out some of the stuff that's in my head. It's like the old Bob Dylan line about needing a dump truck to unload your head. This is my little segment to do that about little things, trivial or sometimes not so trivial. And I'm going to just do a couple of things on this particular one that just caught my eye and, and I've been thinking about, and also because I needed to kill a few minutes. So, starting with, I don't know about you, but I am not crazy about this new thing of the dailies bifurcating their headlines. Have you noticed this? And they don't do it every day. But even on days where there's some pretty important news, you start to see, like, the, the, the dailies, the real tabloids, the post, the daily news, you don't get that big front page with a picture or the giant block letter words anymore. And they split the page in half, and you kind of get the major or a big story at the bottom half, and then an entertainment story above it. So, I remember a couple of days ago, they had the thing with the uh, the poor people in that ferry coming back from Roosevelt Island and going to Roosevelt Island, and they were stuck there, poor folks, in, in you know, everything broke down all at once. I mean, not only did the main line break down, but their backup generator broke down, and their backup backup generator was somewhere in a repair shop in Japan. So, instead of being able to rescue, well, to turn on the thing and get these people back on within half an hour or to rescue them within an hour or two, some of those stragglers up there were up in, in the air over that river for about 12 hours with you know, no bathroom. Apparently, I didn't think they brought any food even when they did start to, to rescue these people. And I felt also especially sorry because a lot of those folks seemed to be Orthodox Jews. I don't know if you saw into the cage there. But... Uh, it was the beginning of that second part of Passover that's really important to the Orthodox community. If you're um, Orthodox, it's not just the first two nights of Passover that are big holy days. I mean, you have the Seders on those days, but the last two days of Passover are also holy days. You're not supposed to work, you're not supposed to ride or spend money or do stuff. And here were these people, I'm assuming, trying to get home in the late afternoon, around 5 o'clock, to, to get ready for the end of the holiday, and instead, they're up there waiting to be rescued. They're not supposed to be riding on the holiday, but, you know, in situations like that, you can't avoid it. So, 
Anyway, even on that day, with a really big sort of New York story, and as we speak, they haven't fixed the damn thing either. They're still working. I mean, there's nobody up there, but they don't have them running again, and they probably won't for days. Half the paper had the box with the people on it, and, and the top half was about Tomcat, about uh, Tom Cruise and, and his girlfriend's new baby. And like, did that really need half the length of the front page of, I believe it was the New York Post? I mean, couldn't they have put that in a little box? I mean, we're used to, it, it's the newspaper version, I guess, of the crawls that you see on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, where it used to be, okay, you had the announcer, and then you had the announcer with a logo over here somewhere, you know, on his lower right, and then you had the logo, and then underneath you had the one little crawl of, of telling you some major important stuff. And now, my gosh, you put on MSNBC and... The guy talking, there's a logo here, there's somebody that he's talking to in a little TV screen next to him. You've got not only a crawl, but you have a thing above the crawl telling you what the crawl is going to be about. And so you look at that, and you, you, sometimes you get this weird paradoxical mind thing where you look and say, oh, the subject is going to be the rape case, except what the, the, the speaker on the show, be it... Um, Kenneth Olderman or, or Rita Cosby, whoever it is, they're, they're on something totally different. They're, they're talking about Aruba, but it's mentioning the Duke Rape case because that's the one that's going along on the crawl, which I guess is more important somehow. Stop it! Stop it! You know, we, can, we don't need that much information right then and there. We have gotten used to it. You know, it's not so headachey that it was when they first started doing it. We're a culture that thrives on the visual. So we get accustomed to things and we, we intake them. And I guess that is good in the long run when we're trying to multitask at work. But still, you know, enough. Stop it with the lists on the right side of the screen and the thing. And, and, and every time you watch a movie, at the end of the movie, the credits, you, I mean, why do they even bother? The credits are in this little box on the side of the screen. You've got the announcer... Um, you know, saying that this important show is coming up, and then scenes from another show and a different little inset box in the screen. I don't know, maybe more people than I do have 42-inch screens, so they can take it all in. But most of the time, I'm watching in the bedroom on a little 10 or 12-inch thingy, and I, I just want my, my picture back. I want a human and a little description of who that human is, and 98% of the time, that's all I need. I mean, if you look at uh, Phil Mushnick, who writes in the New York Post. How many times has he said that by the time a golfer goes for the putt, or by the time the, uh, the I, hockey player is swinging at the puck and trying to get into the, the net, the cr words that are on the screen haven't lifted yet. So you're trying to follow the puck, and what you're really doing is instead of seeing the puck on the ice, you're seeing it bounce through all these different letters of the alphabet until they finally take it away after the shot's been made. And it's like, you know, there's no reason for it. Anyway, see, I told you this was Dave Goes Off. I, I start in a very mellow mood about something that's a little bit, you know, kind of on my mind, and then I go crazy. Well, anyway, speaking of Mushnick and the Post and all that, that's sports, so it leads directly into the other thing that I wanted to, uh, to comment on. Kind of give a shout-out to the New York Mets. Now, this time last year, I did a Dave Goes Off segment about the Mets because they had lost their first seven games in a row, and looked like they were going nowhere fast, which, on some level, they kind of were, but they pulled it together a little bit, and, and it was kind of an interesting season because of some of the talent that they had, and now it's the reverse. Now, for the first week of the season, everybody was going, well, 
No one's going to beat the Mets. This is going to be their year. They're top. They're not losing. They've got these amazing talents. They've got Pedro. They've got David Wright. It's all going to go. If everybody stays healthy, you know, it's going to be a hell of a season. And I believe that. And I think that's absolutely going to be true. But at the same time, after 12 games, 13 games, okay, they're not 12-0. and 0. You know, At the moment, I think they're about 10-4 and 4 or 11-4, uh, and 4, which is still great which is still amazing if they can keep that going through the year. But, you know, a little moderation here and there. They already have their goat. only took a week or two, and then suddenly Victor Zambrano is like the bad guy. Even though he's one and one, he had one bad outing, but he won the other game, didn't pitch too well, but doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean he's a disaster. Give him time. You know, David Wright opened the season in this blaze of glory, and then he had that game uh, where he made... Um, what was it, three consecutive errors in the game. So, you know, it's a long season. We're only two weeks into it. So, give it time. Psst, you want to buy a watch? No? How about a dishwasher? Vacation to Europe? Well, what's wrong with selling my stuff this way? How else? Advertise? On days gone by? Take a 30 or 60 second ad on the radio? I can't afford that. I can and I'll reach thousands of listeners all over America? How do I... Dave'sGoneby.org has all the info, huh? Great cars and everything? Done deal! Hey, before I go, want to buy a raincoat full of watches? Hi, this is David Lee Roth, and I want to talk to you about energy conservation. You know, just because warmer weather is here doesn't mean you should stop making the same sensible decisions about water, electricity, and fuel that got you through the winter. By carefully monitoring the precious natural resources you use, we can balance that with the needs of the greater community. So when you water your lawn, why not make sure that... Hello? Why not make sure that... Hello? Is anybody listening? Come on, it's me, Diamond Dave from Van Halen. And this is a public service announcement about energy... Hello? Hello? All right, did I ever tell you about the time we were on tour with Judas Priest and the amps wouldn't work during the mic check? Okay, so I go to the manager and I say, Dude, this ain't going to be much of a concert unless you get the amps fixed. And, and the manager says, Okay, I'll ask the roadies to take a look at it. But meanwhile, okay, this roadie is... Hello? Hello? Still, still nobody, huh? Not one listener? Hey, did I mention that I banged one of the chicks on Falcon Crest? Or, or at least I think it was her. It was really dark. Plus, I was super wasted. And, you know, it was late. Hello? Hello? How the hell with it? Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. Hope you enjoyed this theatrical and also kind of off-the-cuff version of the show. I want to give my special thanks to Iris Dorbian, our guest. She is the editor-in-chief of Stage Directions magazine. Find out more about it at stage, little bitty hyphen thing, directions.com. And I want to thank her and, of course, the folks who make this program possible. Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of the South Shore of Long Island, Performing Arts Insider, Theater Magazine, this time of year especially... Um, Broadway, off-Broadway, it's all happening. you got to, got to get yourself a copy. Check out PerformingArtsInsider.com for the details. And MortgagesRock.com Oh, and speaking of the theater, 
we're still going to be doing some of that next week in kind of a different way because you can't get away from it now with, with you know, the Tonys and all the other awards coming up pretty soon. So going to have on the program next week an actress who's been out of the loop for about a decade. She was a rising starlet, oh, in, I guess, the, the early to mid-80s, an Emmy Award winner for uh, the TV series or miniseries Holocaust. She was also in 16 Candles, very pop, probably her, her most popular film in a way. She was in French Postcards, a bunch of other things. She was on Broadway. Blanche Baker, maybe you don't quite remember the name, but you recognize her face if you saw her. And anyway, she took about 10 to 15 years off to have a family. She has four kids. You know, she's having a life totally outside of Hollywood. She also did some sculpture and stuff, but now she's getting back into it, and she's doing an off-off-Broadway play called Knowing Bliss, and she's going to be talking about that with the director of the show, Lorca Perez, but I'm not going to be interviewing them, um, because, turns out, both Blanche and Lorca are half-Jewish. I was asked by Rabbi Saul Solomon, of who has been, of course, our frequent and most favorite visitor to the neighborhood, if he could do the honors next week. And so he will on Dave's Gone By. Rabbi Sal Solomon interviewing Lorca Perez and Blanche Baker. Do not miss it. If, if you know how the rabbi does his interviews, it's there's something to hear. Anyway, thank you for hearing me tonight on WGBB. Thanks for buying my CDs. You can get them for $11 a piece at the website davesgoneby.org. Also the place to buy my book, Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank my wonderful wife, Joyce, for her wonderfulness, as always. And I want to thank you for tuning in next week to the 170th edition of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz saying good night, good theater, and gone by. I will throw my way and jump the hedges first. Drink the clear, clean water for to quench my thirst. Oh, oh.